We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. The preamble of our American Constitution. The title of this morning's lesson is In God We Trust, and it's going to be one of two lessons that I talk about this topic leading into a month where we will all cast our votes. Now, I know this is going to be um, a really awesome lesson already. Now, you're going to ask, Tony, how do you know that this is going to be a really awesome lesson already? Well, here's how I know. This is the first lesson that I have ever received feedback on before I preached it. Okay, now the, uh, the notes go out in the bulletin on Friday. And I, now I also know that some people actually look at the notes. So I just had a great Friday of affirmation that everyone's really into what we're talking about and what we're teaching. Now, here's what's scary about that to me. I told you the part I liked kind of jokingly, but there's something that scares me about that. And that's that there's, there's some folks who have come this morning with maybe preconceived notions. That, that maybe the minister is going to get up and tell us how to vote. You know, maybe the minister is going to get up and say, you know, this, this candidate's evil and this one's good, or this one's evil and this one's good. And, and what I want to do this morning is let you know that's not what this is about at all this morning. It's not what this is about at all this morning. What I want to talk to us about this morning is how do we survive as Christians in such a difficult political climate? The next month is going to be really, really difficult for everyone in this country, whether whether you like it or not. It's just the way it is. Every morning you're going to wake up and turn on the news to uh, new terrible things being said by people, new commercials that are ugly. It just the political climate is is difficult in my mind and and in the mind of a lot of Christians I know because I can see them talking about it on social media and in social environments. But what I want to do is I want to set our mind at ease that God has given us what we need to survive all this and to have a positive outcome. The first question that I, I think we, we need to ask and, and that I think is important to ask and discuss is, you know, did America have a Christian founding? And I want to establish this morning that I think in light of history, it did. Uh, I'll, I'll open by saying this. In my lifetime, I have watched a whole bunch of musicals. Now, what does that have to do with what I'm talking about? Well, my favorite two musicals, because I really connect to them, are one, Honk, Honk, the story of the ugly duck. Don't laugh, because I connect to that story. Number two, my second favorite musical that I watched and listened to is Schoolhouse Rock. 
And why? Because Schoolhouse Rock takes me back to that couch on Elsie Street with my bowl of cereal on Saturday morning, singing the jingles. The jingles that taught me about English lessons and math lessons and the preamble of the United States Constitution and history. And you know what? As I ate my bowl of cereal, I had no clue as to what I was learning. But to this day, you can recite some of the jingles to those songs. My boys were given accolades in some of their history classes in middle school, not because they had parents that had taught them so much about history and these other things, but because they spent so much time at CYT learning their music for their musical. And so they knew the preamble and they could pronounce it to their class. How wonderful it is when those lessons are interwoven into our education and into our practices as people. Did America have a Christian founding? Well, I would answer in history, yes. And one of the reasons I would say that is the simple numbers that came from Europe to the U.S. to 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 land on this ground. All, if not all, most of the European settlers in 19 in 1776 were identified as Protestant Christians. There was about 1.9% above that that were Roman Catholic. And of that number, there were about 2,500 Jews who identified being Jews that settled. But that was the makeup of the inhabitants of the new world of the English settlers in 1776. Was there a Christian influence on what they developed from that? You bet. You bet there was. Now, one of the things that you, that many of you probably experienced, like myself, is when I first began to learn history, was in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, in my school classrooms, and history was taught pretty much what I learned about this part of history, was some guys came across the ocean in funny-looking hats with funny-looking belt buckles, and they settled on the ground, and they were all Christians, and they... You know, they they lived by Christian principles, and when someone got out of line, they burnt them at the stake and called them witches. Okay? And that's kind of what I walked away with. Oh, and by the way, to look good, they got together with the Indians and ate some turkey. Right? And that was kind of the foundation of what we learned in history. And then all of a sudden, and that was kind of how I lived life. I'm not going to lie, I came from a very patriotic family. My grandfather fought... In three wars, World War II, the Korean conflict, and he was an advisor in Vietnam, we were a patriotic family. Every day in the school I went to, we started off the morning saying the Pledge of Allegiance and and learning allegiance to our flag and to our country. That was the core of what I was brought up doing. And I bet many of you the same way. And then all of a sudden, at age 26, I decided to, to, to make the biggest jump in my life and go to community college. Wow, did I hit a wall that I didn't expect. My first class on diversity. My first class on on U.S. history that challenged my beliefs of what history was and and, and how it was made up and how our country was founded. The idea that, that the Christianity, the pure Christianity that I thought of some of our founders was tried because I found out, you know, some of them identified themselves as deists. 
Some of them weren't pure Christians at all. Some of their their ways, their the, the things they said, they would say something that resembled something Christian and, and they kind of got that label. But their behavior certainly didn't indicate that as we studied on and as and in their lifestyle when put underneath a microscope. And so then from from community college and, and history and community college, I had the blessing of going then to a Christian college and having to take history all over again because somehow or another the history wasn't right. And what I found out again was that those men were not perfect. Guess what, church? Our founders were sinners. Anybody enlightened by that? They were imperfect men. From imperfect families in an imperfect system in an imperfect place. But what they tried to do was assemble a country where we could be free. To worship, free to grow, free to have a relationship with God. Turn, if you would, to Psalms 22, 1 through 5. Psalm 22, 1 through 5. We're going to go back to, let's look at, at some of uh, David's thoughts. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I, but I find no result. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. You know, there's some, there's some ideas when we can see from what came before us, isn't there? And, and, and in our founding, we can say, okay, our founders were men who had faith. They were men who believed in God. Some different than others, but they certainly did believe in God. And it's important that we hang on to that and we understand that that's the foundation, how we move forward as Christians in this modern environment. That, that while their system wasn't perfect, and even the, the system that they were establishing wasn't going to be perfect, nor is the system we live in today. But there is one thing that I can tell you today. The one thing I can tell you today is in January, when a new person is inaugurated into office and all the smoke clears, and it's the day after, God will still be sitting on the throne. God will still be the umbrella that covers this country. And that should put to rest our fear as Christians. There was a consensus that came from our founders, even in their differences. There, there are three that were pulled out of a study done by Mark David Hall, who is the head of historical who was head at this time of his, historical studies at Georgetown University. Consensus number one: religious liberty is a right, and it must be protected. Something they all agreed on. 
was that religious liberty was a right that all men have and it has to be protected. So if I get ready to prayerfully think about what direction I go as a Christian in this political environment, just remember that in the foundation of this country, in the foundation of of who we are as a country, one thing that they wanted was that religious liberty be protected. Consensus number two. States should have established churches only if they encourage and assist Christianity. Now, that was a that was something that they they met and agreed upon was that if there was going to be a church, if there was going to be an entity of a church in this new country, that it was going to assist the Christian values of being taught. It was going to assist in the establishment of the moral code. Consensus three, religion belongs in the public square. My, how times have changed. How times have changed. Their desire was that religion could be practiced openly, outwardly, with all to see, without hindrance, with freedom and liberty. That was their consensus. That was the consensus of the founding fathers, even in all their differences. Now, here's what I want us to understand. Is that we need to develop from that foundation a fearless response to today's political environment. A response that's not riddled by fear, but goes back to the core of the values of our founding fathers. The core of freedom to exercise religion, to exercise our faith. Well, you might ask, Tony, you know, okay, all this is fine, but how do you know? How do you know God's going to be in control of all this? How do you know that? Well, you know, the cliche answer is I know because he's God, but I'll give you something a little more just just so we can we can dig into the word just a little bit. Think about this for just a moment. God is in heaven and he is thinking about how he's going to manipulate the world to kill a perfect man, a man who did nothing to anyone, a man who was perfect in all his ways, a man who in bodily form was God. And so God's looking down from heaven. He says, how am I going to manipulate the world to do this? He says, I know I'll choose politics. That'll get him because everybody knows they'll argue over politics. And truly, it was the politics of Jesus's day. That God used to manipulate the world descending to the cross. And there's something I know. Whether in, in, in November, whether Pilate's elected, or whether Herod's elected, or whether Lucifer himself is elected, when he's inaugurated, God will be in control. And God's purpose will be moving forward and moving and advancing. And we can have security in that. Well, how do you know that, Tony? Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. There's a little conversation going on here between Jesus and Pilate. Jesus has been arrested. He's been handed over to Pilate and then given to Herod and then brought back to Pilate. And Pilate's more or less saying, Jesus, don't you get this, man? 
I want to let you go. I have the power to let you go. All you have to do is, is deny. That's all you got to do is change your way of thinking. But look at Jesus's response in verse 17. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. See, all this manipulation that's taking place among the kings and the leaders of this time and all the politics that are going on around Jesus are all being handled by God. There was no power to kill Jesus except by God's. And there'll be no power to hurt you or to harm you as a Christian after the inauguration in January Except for by God. You know, read Psalm 56 with me. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. Let's take a look at this bit of Scripture. The psalmist says, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and I'm not afraid. And listen to this. What can mere mortals to me. See, the mindset of a Christian must be, what can this mortal world do to me in an eternal living circumstance? If I'm living eternally, mortals can do nothing to me. They can kill my, my body. They can take my life, right? The world's kings can cause wars. They can cause famines. They can, they can do whatever they want to, to denounce the freedom of this world. But they cannot take your eternity. Only God owns it. You know, we, 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 we live in a country right now where there's, there's so many things on the table. There's so many different topics that, that lie out there. So many things for us to sort through. So many things that cause fear. And out of fear... We sometimes leave behind who we are, what we truly believe. When in fact, there's no reason for us to fear. So, I want to begin to wind this down by talking about the politically correct, about politically correct Christianity. Now, there's some that would believe this is incorrect because this is a tattoo across someone's back. Okay, and I wanted to show the whole thing, but the shoulders had to be covered because they had just gotten done and the, and the sheets and everything were still on this person that had just been tattooed. And in this tattoo are in, engraved the words that are the, the title of our lesson, In God We Trust. It's, it's, a, it's a saying that we've embraced as a country, isn't it? We, we put it on all of our currency. We, uh, we use this term a lot in the United States of America. The greater question is, do we? Do we trust God? Do we trust God enough to alleviate our fears? Do we, do we trust God enough to allow Him to guide us and allow Him to convict us and allow Him to maybe even, in some cases, change the way we think? Do we trust in God? What Jesus died for and what your voice means 
are one and the same. Do you hear what I said, church? What Jesus died for and your voice are one and the same. You pronounce the gospel. You pronounce the gospel with your voice. You pronounce the gospel with your life. We pronounce the gospel with the way we live politically, the way we live spiritually, the way we live fundamentally. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. The Proverbs writer says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, submit to Him. And He will keep your paths straight. You know, such an, such an important lesson here of what trust is. What it means to submit. And what the outcome of submission is, is to be guided by God. The um, prayer language that we often hear in the church is, Guide Guard and direct us, right? Well, really, you don't need to use direct because you've already asked him to guide you. But we've used that term, heard hundreds of men pray those words. But while you're being guided and while you're being directed, are you trusting? Do you trust in God? I want to give you a look at five things here that I think make up someone who is politically correct in Christianity. First, it's someone trusting in God and his ways. They trust in God and his ways. And what I mean by that is knowledge. Look, I know in the in the cycle of this next month, many of us will spend hours a day watching CNN, MSNBC, Fox News Channel, uh, you know, wherever you get your news source, okay? Please, church, please balance that with some Bible study, with some prayer. Balance that with time in God's word and time with God's people. Not just selling out to how you were brought up or what you think, but weigh out some of the things being said, some of the some of the things that are on the table at stake. Not telling you how to vote, who to vote for, but I am telling you. Or, or encouraging you to at least spend some time in the proper place to prepare. And I believe that just as much time in preparation for, for voting needs to be spent in the Word of God as it does in our local news agencies. Secondly, that person is spiritually connected. They worship and they pray regularly. You know, let's give God thanks for where we're at. Where we've come from, where we've been. And let's begin to look at where God wants to take us and let's worship Him for that. Let's be prayerful in how we talk to God. How we present God with what, what we're believing as, as voters. And, and, and listen, in, in the part of this that, that I want to say, and I want to say this um, in a convicted way, because I don't, I don't want anyone in any way, shape, or form, if, if you walk away from this sermon today thinking that I said vote for this person or vote for that person, you're going to be wrong, because I, I, I'm not telling you to vote for anybody. In fact, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a little notion of myself right now. In prayer time and study of God's Word, and I have always been taught that voting is something that every person must do. 
always been taught that. But I've also, from reading and prayer and conviction, uh, I've come to a conclusion that I think there's times that Christians can abstain. And I have a difficult time saying that. And I'm not saying that's what I'm going to do. I'm just simply saying that I think there's times that I'm not willing to put my name on somebody and their behavior and the way they live. In an abstinence, I'll go over here and I'll just take each candidate, lay them out on the floor and begin praying equally for each one. That God will intervene and that God will do what God does best. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I think that we have a right to abstain if we're not convicted or if that we're convicted negative. In fact, if you go back to the late 1800s and you look at the development of this movement, what you find out in history was a lot of the separation in the Church of Christ was caused by political disdain. It was caused by the political environment of the time. Pacifists who didn't support the Civil War, who who didn't support slavery and different things that were on the table of the fight at that time, were in disagreement with those who did, with those who supported it. And that political environment caused great strife in the church. And there's a time that I think it's okay to just be spiritually connected to God, and if, and if you're not convicted, abstain. The third is to be obedient. Is to be obedient. Remember the donkey. Turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. In your Bible, in the book of Numbers, you see the story of Balaam and his donkey. And if you read the um, King James Version or the New King James Version, you'll see that it has an interesting Word for donkey there. But it's Balaam and his donkey. We're going to keep this PG. And the story goes like this, paraphrase. The donkey and Balaam are heading down a trail, and Balaam is going in a certain direction that he thinks right, and the donkey wanders him off the trail. And Balaam gets upset with the donkey, and he beats the donkey. Beats the donkey. Gets the donkey back on the trail. The donkey walks so much more down the trail, walks him off the trail again because he's heading for sudden, for sure death. And so Balaam beats the donkey again. And finally, the donkey, God opens the mouth of the donkey. and The donkey begins to speak to Balaam. He says, Balaam, I'm trying to save your life. Why are you beating me? Why do you keep beating me up? I'm, I'm doing you a favor here. The angel of the Lord's waiting on you is going to surely destroy you if you keep going down this trail. I'm trying to get you to change pace. And so here Balaam is having a conversation with his donkey. If God can open the mouth of a donkey to save a man, then I'm pretty sure looking at any one of these presidential candidates that he can use one of them. Now when I think about that, it makes me laugh. I wish it didn't. I wish it didn't. But I prayerfully rely on God to guide whomever is elected in this election cycle to run this country and to protect us as Christians. Why? Because God loves us. 
God loves you, and He loves me individually. Number four, respectfully loving. God wants us to be respectfully loving. And what does that mean? Is that we spend a lot of time praying. We're prayerful for all candidates and for all people. We're prayerful that God will intervene in their lives and that they will see God's love for them and what God wants for them. And that they too will be obedient to that. Guys, there's a lot of hateful, hateful, hateful stuff that's posted, that's said, that's copied and pasted on Facebook. Nasty stuff. Stuff that, stuff that you wouldn't say to your worst enemy. And it's brothers and sisters in Christ doing some of that stuff. You've got to stop. That's, that's no way for us to treat one. That's no way for the world to see us treating one. That's not love. And it's not encouraging. And frankly, it's not helpful. It's divisive. We need to be respectful in this political environment to be correct in our Christianity. And finally, we need to be diligent and responsible. As a Christian, we have the responsibility to vet the candidates. Vet them by our values, by our conviction. And at the end of a prayerful course of action, you'll step into a booth and you'll cast your vote. Or you may abstain. But it needs to be prayerful. It needs to be thought out. It needs to be diligent. You need to be diligent in how you vet and how you vote. Why? Because on the line is a country that was established by Christian values. A country that our, our founding fathers, the, the men and their families who came and established, wanted you to have religious liberty, wanted you to enjoy the freedom that you enjoy today, there's a lot on the line. But probably the most important thing that's on the line is your own eternal well-being. Because if you sell yourself out to vote politically, it can be very damaging to you spiritually. That's my message to us. As we prepare for this next election cycle in November, I don't want us to walk through it as frightened Christians. We should be fearless of the political environment. Our faith should be in God. If we truly trust in God, it's going to be okay. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you. And you love Him. And there's a promise that's bound in that love. It's the promise of salvation. Believe. Realize this morning, this isn't a mountain-moving evangelical sermon, but it is a sermon that addresses a lot of what's going on with people who are talking with and sharing with me their fears. I hope it helps. I hope it helps to know and to realize that At the end, when the smoke clears, it's God that will still be on the throne, still be in control, that we trust, that we trust and we put all our faith in. It's God. Let's stand and say.